You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I'm Marcus, and it is the 5th of March, and it appears that the phone is ringing again. A couple of people have rung me this week to see if I can book some shows in for September, October. I've even got one penciled in for July, but we'll see what happens with that. I don't want to get too um, excited. But uh, we'll see. It's very misty as well at the moment. It's like we're stuck in the middle of a cloud, which I guess that's what mist is if you want to get technical. I don't know. You'll have to have a, have a chat with the weather people about that one. But um, anyway, this is Grassroots. For those of you who don't know, this is the Q&A. And it's aimed at the people out there that are calling the washing machine maintenance guy around because they've got a bit of a leak. And then when they get to the bottom of the filter, there's about 27 plectrums at the bottom that's fallen out of your jeans because we never go anywhere without a plectrum do we guys and girls who play we turn up at a party they bring out a flea-bitten guitar out of the loft and all of a sudden they'll say to you oh marcus is going to give us a tune well you better have a plectrum so always make sure i've found plectrums in my my wedding trousers that i wore for my friend's wedding i have found plectrums in my jeans my shorts everywhere just anywhere i went i better take one just in case there's always a party there's always a guitar there's always a dusty old relic acoustic with five strings on that someone's got up in the loft and marcus is going to play us a song thanks a lot for that you know it's like it's like kind of getting a carpenter around your house and say can you nail this in so i haven't got a hammer so uh i haven't got the correct tools oh okay well maybe you could just push the nails in yeah okay thanks for that you want the job done properly, find me a decent guitar, all right? But I've got a decent plectrum in my pocket. Anyway, enough of that. Ranting already. How about that? It's grassroots. It is another week from you lovely people. I've had some questions again. And I'm going to start with uh, Reese. Now, I know who Reese is um, and his son, Tay. And he said to me, will you give us a wave? Well, I'll give you a wave because you won't be able to see it. But will you give us a shout? And I will. So hi, Reese, And hi, Tay. How are you? Um, Tay is a drummer. And Reese had asked me um, if I had any advice on an electronic drum kit because most of the guys in the shops and most of the guys online are saying that you should get one for around £900. And uh, Tay is um, he's only about eight, I think. So he, he doesn't want to be, you know, spending that sort of money. So my advice to you, uh, Reese, is... Um, you know, just you don't need to, to go silly with things like that. And you, I think you know anyway. I think um, probably everybody's trying to do the best thing. But the, the most important thing to remember is that if I felt that I could go out tomorrow <clears throat> and buy um, a £10,000 snooker cue and then go and take Ronnie O'Sullivan on and beat him with it, then I would. You know, but unfortunately... You, you could put like like you could put a ten thousand pound snooker cue in my hand and I would be useless, and you could probably give Ronnie O'Sullivan a broom handle and he'd still beat you, because it's in the hands, it's in the ability, it's in the talent. And I always feel that with the guitar, with any musical instrument really, if you're able to get a decent sound out of a fairly uh, cheap or a cheaper option, then you've done all the groundwork for when you move over to the new one. And this is a mistake that I see quite a lot, um, <clears throat> particularly with the guitars, is that I see a lot of people turn up and, you know, they spent a lot of money on this guitar as, uh, to start their hobby. Um, and I, I liken it to when you, I think when you first learn to drive, I don't think your dad would let you go straight out in his Porsche, if your dad's got a Porsche, which, in, you know, in my, my case and most cases of the, <laughs> the circles I move in, um, they don't. But um, 
<clears throat> the the point is that um you you know if you're learning to drive you want to learn to drive in an old bang and it doesn't really matter if you dent it a bit so if you're learning how to play um a guitar or learning how to play a drums electronic drum kit there's nothing wrong with second hand stuff in order to get your get your hand in and get your learning and it doesn't break the bank and it's uh, sensible and you know enables you to work on the basics and then if it doesn't work work out really you, you sort of sell it on and you don't lose an awful lot on it if you start buying a drum kit for a best part of a grand and all of a sudden after two years you want to sell it that's probably dropped quite a bit if it's already dropped and you buy it you know it's so so it's things like that but um <clears throat> but there are a few, there are plenty that um, you can choose from uh, recent. And to be honest with you, um, there, you know, there are plenty of places that will help you. They're, of course, they're going to tell you that you need to have a 900 quid or a thousand pound drum kit in the same way that they're going to tell you that you need to have a 1500 quid, you know, best part of two grand Gibson, you know, when you're first learning guitar. You say, well, hang on a minute, you know. But then a, a, a card dealer would tell you that if you've just passed your test, the ideal car for you is a Lamborghini because you know it's 200,000 pounds worth to them they don't care if you take it around a corner and dent it um so sensible maybe second hand there's uh, I think I had a there are zoom ones there are Yamaha ones um <clears throat> and there are plenty out there that do uh, a very very solid solid job um so you don't need to worry too much um financially with things like that just just um get something that works, get something that he can practice with the headphones on um, and work on a few things. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a good way. It's a good way of starting. It's a good good place to start from. And then, you know, if, if, say if you start getting to the point where you're joining a band and you're looking to do something a bit more serious, well, that's the time for, for you to sell what, you know, sell your old drum kit and then um, invest in a new one. But... Um, yeah, keep it keep it simple and keep it cheap. Um, and hello to you both, and I hope to see you very, very soon. Uh, Dean from Langdon Hills. Hi, Marcus. What is Dadgad tuning, and how does it work? Um, Dadgad tuning is exactly what it says on the tin. Um, instead of the uh, traditional E-A-D-G-B-E tuning that we have on guitars, we drop the D on the sixth string, um, and we drop the E on the first string and we drop the B on the second string and we end up with a dadgad sounding. It's a very um, Celtic, um, they use it in a lot of country and a lot of folk, Not maybe not so much country, but certainly a lot of folk music. Um, it's very Celtic and it kind of lends itself to a certain sound. I, I found, because I mean, I, I'm fairly new with this. So when I got this question um, from Dean, I thought, well, look, in all of the years I've played guitar, I haven't really experimented much with alternative tunings. I've done drop D tuning. Um, I've, you know, I've detuned everything, a, a semitone, and I've, you know, the obvious things. And I've played the Rolling Stones, which I think is this open G tuning and open D tuning. Um, but I've never used Dadgad. So I immediately went and tuned my guitar in and played about with it. And I found that, yes, it is Celtic, and it is very... Um, <clears throat> it's very easy to fiddle around with and make yourself sound really sort of uh, uh, well talented. makes it makes it sound very interesting. And immediately I wrote a song because it seemed so easy to do that. Um, 
not not to write the song. I don't mean to sound like a big head, but I just mean it sound. It seemed so easy to write the song because there were so many different little uh, hooks and little melodies within those uh, droning notes. And it, the reason it's Celtic is because it gives you that impression of the uh, the kind of droning um, sort of sus. I think it's a sus sus two that is tuned to, um, <clears throat> and a sus two. Um, is what gives you that sort of open, open uh, sort of guitar sound, and I immediately started playing it, and I thought, yeah, I can understand it. Uh, you know why why so many people use it. Um, there are lots of different tunings, uh, Dean, but Dadgad is is basically exactly what it does on the tin. But when it comes to finding positions and when it comes to finding chords and things like that, I'm still in the very early stages of looking into it myself. So I, I'm going to be experimenting with that over the next few weeks. But there are things available online that will help you in terms of, you know, different positions. And I'm sure there are major and minor positions, which at the moment, I'm sorry, mate, but, I, you know, I, I just, as I take these questions, I answer them the best I can. And the best answer I have for you is that I, it's D-A-D-G-A-D, obviously Dadgad. And the best way is to find um, your own little little pattern. What I did find is I could slide around on the third string up and down the fretboard just on that third string and leave the rest of it open and I could find little melodies within that which was quite uh, quite helpful and just quite nice and I think um, if you're just doodling around it's a nice little tuning for doodling around with um, but uh, that's what Dadgad tuning is and there are, there are plenty of others and I found a couple of things on YouTube um, because uh, I, I wanted to experiment it my, myself I've been asked a few times and Arthur who I work with in Men of Earth, is um, he, he knows a fair bit about the different tunings and about the folk tunings and the bluegrass tunings and th stuff like that. And and uh, obviously, if anybody's out there that can can help me with this, send me a couple of uh, bits of advice in terms of something they found or something that they've written or, you know, please do because it's a new thing for me. And sometimes um, I always remind people that when when you do this this crazy job. It isn't necessarily about um, what you, you, you know, you, you can't know everything about everything and you still continue to learn and I'm still continuing to learn and continuing to find out about alternative tunings. I'm finding out about different things that I'd, I knew of them, but I'd never explored them, Dean. So now I've explored them and I can, I'm going to continue to explore them to just see if I'm... Um, you know, if I can have another little moment of magic like I did the other night and uh, write the song that that uh, will probably be on the next album after this. Um, so yeah, that that gad tuning is that you drop the you drop the bottom. Let, let's think. Let, let's work on the string six five four three two one. Six string instead of being E is tuned down to D. The A string stays as it is. The D string, which is your fourth string, stays as it is as it is. G, which is your third string, stays as it is. Second, which is usually your B, is now tuned down to an A note. And then your first string, which is usually an E, is tuned down to a D. It's dadgad. As soon as you strum it, it just sounds like a Celtic kind of Irish, uh, folky, uh, almost a bagpipe sort of drone. Um, but, but, but in a good way, I mean. It's not like a drone that they, you know, but in a, in a good way. And straight away, you're, it's just makes your guitar 
make a different sound and you're able to play around with it and uh, and play around on the third string and move around with that. Try a couple of positions. Um, and, uh, yeah, you'll find, I'm sure you'll find some stuff. But, um, yeah, thanks for your question, Dean. I'm still learning myself, mate, so I'm going to have a little look into that. And hopefully, maybe in a couple of weeks, I might, um, if I can't do a little feature on it, um, maybe on the on the website or something like that, then I'll get Arthur or I'll get uh, somebody else who I know to come in and, and give me a little uh, tuition thing on it so I can um, explore it further. Innovation Studios is the perfect place for any aspiring singer-songwriter to take their journey to the next level. Whether that be starting at the basics and building a solid foundation on your first instrument, learning the best ways to perform your first open mic, or refining your current set with an experienced performer, or recording a polished album at the highest of standards. With soundproof walls and perfect ambience and acoustics, our studio is also a great place for a budding producer to learn their craft, hone their skills and begin producing music. Check out what we have to offer throughout our website. Go to www.innovationstudios.com Derek from Bexley Heath, over there in Dart Dartford, Kentway. What is the main difference between the cheap guitars and the obvious brands, i.e. Squires and Fenders, Epiphones and Gibsons, etc.? Um... Well, uh, I think if you, it, it depends how far apart you, it, you know, in my opinion, it depends how far away you, you go. If, if you take a Epiphone Les Paul Jr. and you put it up against a Gibson Les Paul Custom or a, a Gibson Les Paul Standard, then the gulf is enormous. Um, I've I've found that um, usually the top of the range Epiphones match quite well with the bottom of the range um, Gibsons. There's 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 enough there, but um, it's one of those idiosyncrasies. I mean, I've I've had I've got a, a, a Gibson Les Paul Studio, which is a white one, and my mate uh, Matt. Matt Straker has a white Epiphone uh, Les Paul. I think it's a Les Paul standard. And there's not much difference between the two because the Gibson is sort of, sort of uh, the, the the studios were a sort of a lower end of the price range and the and the Les Paul standards Epiphone were the higher range of the, you know, higher price range of the Epiphones. And I didn't find there was an awful lot between them. The obvious thing is the hardware. It's the pickups. It's the wood. It's just, and, and they're just made in a cheaper way. Um, but Epiphone have been synonymous, and and probably, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them anyway. Let me let me just clarify that. I mean, it's not Epiphone are as big a brand as you know as any brand really, because you know if you think about Gibsons and you think about stuff like that. Well, you know, we all know Gary Moore played a Gibson. We all know that. Um, Eric Clapton plays a Strat famously, you know, uh, Fenders and, and Gibsons and things like that. But the Beatles played Epiphones. They played Epiphone Casinos um, and they used to play, and I think John Lee Hooker played an Epiphone Sheraton, but if he didn't, then I'll be happy to be corrected on that. But it, I, I seem to remember that he had 
and Epiphone Sheraton. Um, and obviously, so the Beatles played a lot of Epiphones. I think uh, I seem to remember that John Lennon's acoustic may have been an Epiphone, but certainly the casinos and certainly um, some of the Epiphones made an appearance um, towards the end of the Beatles' career. I think the first sort of five or six years was obviously the Rick and Backer, the, um, the Hoff and the Bass, the Gretsch. Um, country gentleman, if anybody ever wonders what that guitar was that George had, because people sort of know, yeah, John Lennon's Rickenbacker and, and Paul McCartney's violin bass. But the, the guitar that um, George had was a, a Chet Atkins guitar, and it was uh, it was a Gretsch, and it was, uh, I think it was called a Country Gentleman, and it was, uh, of course, it was in black, and it's an iconic guitar. But I've seen so many different Beatles tributes over the years, and... Um, that just had a black Gretsch, um, and there are two or three other models, but I remember looking at them thinking, that's not the one. So the the actual authentic one is um, is a country gentleman, and I don't know if they're that easy to get hold of, but I imagine they're probably pretty expensive. Um, where did I get to? Yes, so the difference between the Epiphones have started, I mean, obviously Oasis made Epiphone huge again. There's Noel Gallagher step, stepping out for the first couple of tours with uh, an Epiphone Riviera. And then next thing we know, he's turning up at Main Road, as it was then. It's now, you know, they've now knocked it down. But the Man City Stadium with the iconic um, Epiphone Sheraton that was finished in the Union flag. Um, and they, they became synonymous with Epiphones. Um, and Epiphone, I even saw Iron Maiden... Um, and I'm trying to think when I saw Iron Maiden. Um, I can tell you it was the Book of Souls tour, so about 2015, 2016. And bearing in mind, Iron Maiden can pretty much have any guitar they want, and they're synonymous with Strats or, or, or Jacksons and, and Deans and, you know, the rock guitars. Well, when they come out, Yannick, who's uh, the, the crazy guitarist, but a superb player, when they come out with the first song, which is, uh, I think it's If Eternity Should Fail... For those of you who are, who are pretty eagle-eyed, when you go back and have a look at that video, if you're a big fan of that, you'll notice that they come out, or at least Yannick comes out, with an Epiphone black uh, custom. I think it's three. I think there are three pickups on it. And he plays that for the first song. Now, he can play any guitar he wants, but he's using an Epiphone. So Epiphone are up there. The big, there's a big difference, I think, between the Squires and the Fenders because they, they don't tend to have different ranges. See, with the, um, with the uh, Gibsons, you have studios, customs, standards, you know. Whereas with the Strats, you sort of have a Strat. And then other than, as far as I'm aware, other than the, you know, the replica makes, the Gilmores, the Hendrix pretty much got a Fender Strat Mexican or whatever and then you've got the Squire Strat and the difference between the two there is quite big the hardware is different the wood is different very very different so that's the main difference Derek is um, just the way that there's some and sometimes the Epiphones have a bolt on neck whereas the uh, Gibsons have a you know a, a fixed neck um, so that that can that that's sometimes the way it is they the, the neck bolts on as opposed to being actually a part of the construction, but that's one of the big differences. But uh, again, as I said to to Reese and to Tay earlier, if it's a case of just looking to get into it, get yourself a Squire, or get yourself an Epiphone, or get yourself a 
um, you know, a cheaper range of guitar and learn how to play it because they're they're easy to get. And then you'll find that if you're able to sustain some notes on a cheaper guitar, by the time you pick up the real deal, it's uh, you know different gravy. And you you know if and I think it, I think that it improves your technique to play a cheaper guitar in the early stages because you'll learn how to sustain on a cheap guitar. And if you can sustain on a cheap guitar and then move that over to another one, that technique that you've learned, you'll find that it's just, it will sing forever because you're used to playing something that's a right, you know, a lot, a lot cheaper. But that's the main difference, Derek. It's, uh, that's why they are a lot cheaper because the, the pickups are, are just a cheaper version. Everything's made cheaper. Maybe the factories uh, are, in, are in a different uh, area, but they, they us usually they are, I think Epiphone are owned by Gibson and Squire are, are owned by Fender. So they know that their guitars are expensive. So what they do is they, they enable people to still buy from them, but to buy a cheaper option. So um, it's a good thing. And um, I've had Squires and uh, I've, I've still got Epiphones that I still love. Um, you know, so that, that's, that's a good thing. But uh, that's the main difference. And I'm sure there are other things as well, Derek. If you go online, you can probably find a few other things out about how they're constructed or where they come from, you know. Um, but that's probably political stuff. You know, they've got the, got the people out in, uh, in Korea and people like that making them. That's all pol political stuff. So we'll see what happens. But um, anyway, thanks for your question, Derek. Uh, Kelly from Basildon says, uh, I've been a singer for about the last seven years. And I've always enjoyed doing it. However, in the last few months, although I've been performing online and streaming my shows online, I've been enjoying it. I felt that my confidence has been lacking a bit and I feel like I'm suffering a bit from a confidence crisis. Has this happened to you? And uh, is there anything that you can advise? Hello, Kelly. Um, yeah, of course it's happened to me. It, it's happened to anybody who's ever performed. And uh, although it doesn't necessarily end up, you know, uh, manifesting itself or or ending up being as a, a like a stage fright thing, I think, to be honest, um, the way things have gone over the last uh, year, the fact that nobody's been performing, so we don't really know where our game is, where our voice is, where our head is. So it's it's kind of. Um, difficult to be that um that sure of yourself but you know i, I think when, when confidence crisis when it when that strikes i think you have to just go back to the basics um you know to book either book some studio time which obviously at the moment is difficult but take some time um i think you, the the first thing you need to do i would advise is maybe Choose the 10 songs that you feel you sing the best. And then just sing them, you know, all the way through where you're in the comfort zone. And then just gradually start to, um, you know, make it 11 or 12, 14, 15, uh, 16 songs, you know, because it, it isn't. Um, I mean, I, I've been away from the stage for a while, same as yourself, Kelly. And um, the hardest thing about it is you don't know what's going to happen because although, you know, with all good intentions, I want to put the work in and I'm trying to put the work in, I'm trying to rehearse and I'm trying to do things. I don't know where my, um, <clears throat> I don't know where my stage 
game is at, I've got no idea. So I'm hoping that all the years of experience will get me through. But I think we've all got a little bit of self-doubt at the moment. Uh, and I don't think that's anything to be worried about. I think go back to basics, sing the songs that you like singing, sing the songs that make you feel a certain way, um, record yourself singing them and be, you know, be strong, listen to them, be, you know, point out the, the, the good stuff. Don't worry about the bad stuff because the bad stuff you can always work on. But the good stuff, you know, focus on that. Um, singing, performing in general, anything that you do, it is, it's 80% in the mind. You have to believe that you're good enough to do it. You have to believe that you've, you've been given this gift and this ability to do what you do and to perform and to bring joy to people. Never forget that that's what you're doing. You're, you're bringing joy to people. You're giving people an evening out. You're, you know, you're, you're performing. And not only that, you're singing songs with a passion. I mean, there are, there are two schools of thought. I think sometimes one of the confidence um, things is that maybe you're performing on stage um, too much as yourself and not enough in a uh, character where you just turn the volume up on yourself. Maybe it's just that you just need to be back doing it again. But, you know, the, the, the truth of it is you have to believe in what you do. You have to be passionate about what you do. And... You just have to know that that's your best. I mean, every every sportsman, everybody from all walks of life will have a confidence crisis. Will you know? And, and, and there are plenty of you know England batsmen or or English or, or British tennis players or whatever athletes who have got you know the body, the 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 um, you know all of the talent but they don't believe that they can win it or they don't believe that they that they do and then sometimes something happens and it might just be that maybe one person believes in you just one person says to you you know and then you know what's what's wrong with you why why do you, why would you say that why would you think and somebody just talks to you a certain way or just advises you that was that worked well that did that was good you know, and you have to look at the great people over the years. And when you read about them all, they all would have had a time in their careers or a time in their lives where they weren't themselves or they weren't maybe as good as they could be. And they knew it. But what they did was they put the work in and, and, and got back. But what they always say and they always go back to is going back to basics. So, Kelly, go back to basics. While you've got the time, you don't have to perform that much at the moment. And, you know, if you're streaming your shows online, that's great. And that's good. That keeps you out there. But you need to go back away from that to basics. Sing the songs that make you feel a certain way. Sing the songs that are important to you. Sing the songs that bring that personality out. Because you have to feel the buzz uh, before you sing the song, you have to you want to feel that certain way before you start singing the song. So I don't really have any advice other than to say that when I've been there and when countless people have been there, I think the answer is always to go back to the basics and keep it simple for a little while 
and just sing and just try and find that little spark. Because if you can basically find a little spark, it soon turns into a flame and, and you soon burn again and, you see, and you'll be fine. I mean, if you're performing online, then you must have a certain amount of confidence left. You must still feel that what you do, uh, people will like. And you must still have enough belief in yourself to step up every day and to do that. So all you've got to do is, is look at what you can do. Focus on what you're able to do. And don't worry about the stuff that you can't do. I'm six foot eight, basically six, seven. I can't as much as I want to. I could, well, not that I necessarily want to, but even if I desperately, desperately wanted to, I couldn't be a ballet dancer, all right? Because I'm too big, I'm too solid, I'm too clumsy, I'm not delicate, right? So I accept the fact that there are certain things that I can't do in life because it, you know, but I look at it and I say, okay, but I can do this, I can focus on that. I can, you know, reach the high shelves in Morrison's and there's lots of people that like to be able to reach the high shelves. But you've got to look at yourself, think about um, all the things about you and, and particularly about your performing, because performing is such a personal thing, that make you you. Who is that girl when she's on stage? Who are you when you're on stage? Are you the same one who's at home? Um, and if that's the case, then you need to... Get a, find a headspace where you're able to leave everything at the door and become that performer. Um, and it's easier said than done. And of course, I wish you all the best with it. And I'm sure you'll be fine. I think we all need to get back to some sort of normality. And I think we all need something to work towards. But if you're still performing every other day or whatever on and streaming your shows online, then you've got enough self-belief to get yourself back in the game and you will do that, all right? So don't worry about it. Thank you um, for writing to me. And I have been there and I've come out the other side and I'll probably be there again, Kelly. And if I'm there again, I will come out the other side and you will come out the other side. Don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> Do you have a song in your head? Turn your ideas into full songs. With a team of professional musicians, engineers and producers, we can turn even the simplest demo into full studio quality recordings. Go to www.innovationstudios.com. Eleanor from Saxmundham. My goodness me, towards, um, well, it's towards sort of uh, Yarmouth and, uh, uh, yeah, goodness me, Kessinland and places like that. Um, just past, yeah, between, I think it's between Ipswich and Yarmouth, but Saxmundham. Um, okay, so, um, Eleanor in Saxmundham says, Hi, Marcus. We saw Oasis as a four-piece, but there were two guitars in the sound. My husband said it was a backing track, but his mate said it couldn't be. Can you let us into the secret? It was at Chelmsford on Father's Day in 2018. Um, there isn't a secret, Eleanor. Um, your husband is wrong. It wasn't a backing track. Um, it was my loop pedal. Um, we had... Dave, who was in the band, there was a great, a great, great friend of ours. Um, and Dave, we, 
Dave decided that uh, he was he had a few um, he had a few mental health issues, Dave, and we we decided to to say to him, look, take a year out, and rather than replace him, and rather than bring somebody else in, we looked at different ways that we could still play and perform and keep his position open for him. So that if he wanted to step back in, and, and bear in mind, at, at any time. So we weren't promising another musician that they could come in and, you know, they'd have all of these gigs. We were just saying to Dave, take some time, mate. And, you know, we'll continue as a four-piece if we can. So I had the dubious task of thinking it all through. And I remember we made, the decision was made... Um, in the December, November and December. And our first show was in, um, I think it was March or April. So I had three months. And I spent the January of that year, and I think it was 2016, but it may be 2017. But whatever it was, I spent the whole of that January walking every day for, I don't know, an hour, a couple of hours, and thinking about the structure of the Oasis songs and how I could make one guitar sound like two. Um, now, chords-wise and and you know rhythm-wise, it was quite easy. I got uh, what they call a Fender ABY pedal, which takes a signal from your guitar and then splits it into two. And I was able to to run my usual setup, and then take the second setup into another amp, which was just set the other side of the stage. So I had my usual crate amp and I had a, a Line 6, um, just to get technical with you, Eleanor, a Line 6 Spider, which I set to a nice crunchy sound. And when I started playing rhythm, I had to change the way I played ever so slightly, but it, was, it wasn't that discernible. And um, one guitar would sound like two when I was playing rhythm. Now, what I found was, of course, when I went to a solo, you then had two guitars playing the solo. And that didn't work. So I had to think for a long, long time. And we had to rely on the band being tighter. So we had to put some time in. We had to we had to put a good few rehearsals in where we had to make sure that we were that we were tight. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to anybody. I just mean that, you know, my whether or not things worked was of course due to whether or not the band as a unit were playing as tight as they could and keeping you know, keeping to the rhythm. Um, and we did. We put the work in, and successfully for for most of that year we did. But what I would do is, uh, for in, for instance, uh, the intro to something like some might say would be played on both guitars, and the spare guitar or the backup guitar, which was running, uh, if you can bear with me, the the split signal was then put through a loop pedal, and then the loop pedal, the output of that was then into the line six. So only one of the two guitars was on a loop. and My guitar was live, if you want to put it another way, but it was all live. So I would play the intro to Some Might Say with a loop pedal. And then as the band kicked in, I would then just let it run again. Um, so the, you then had that rhythm track from the backup guitar playing sort of round again as the band kicked in. And then whilst I would um, play my live guitar, if you like, although it was all live, over the top. And it was a real ballet dance to get used to doing it and to make sure cutting this one in and cutting that one out and 
things like Live Forever wasn't too bad, but I had to remember to play the whole verse through on the looper so that when I cut it back in again, um, that guitar would then, that I just played, would then loop again on the rhythm um, amp so I could play the lead over the top. It was headaches, Eleanor, but it was very, very rewarding. And I think we played the cavern with it and we got some good reviews from the sound guy. And there's a gentleman in, in uh, Bristol, Rich, who was on the sound there at uh, at the tunnels, who came in and just said, he said, I've listened to it live, I've listened to it with headphones on, and he said to me, how are you doing that? Which was really, really nice. So I said to him, it's just looped. He'd mic'd up the amps, and then, um, you know, he said, how are you doing it? And I said, well, I'm just looping where I can. Now and again, um, because we tried everything, Eleanor, we tried... Maybe when I went into a solo, maybe Gary on the bass could cut, you know, cut into a, an overdrive pedal. So his bass was still there, but then there was a fuzzy sound in the background. And we, we thought about that, uh, but we didn't actually try it because I said, no, I think I can do it with a looper, but it just relies on everybody being solid. And everybody was solid um, for that year, for that I mean, ever since then, everyone's gone back to what they what they did before. But, but no, for that year, we were a solid band because it gave us. We had to be disciplined. We had to be on the money. We had to be on exactly as tight as we could be. So maybe the energy wasn't as much because we were kind of standing and concentrating on what we were doing more. But overall, and we and we took it to Manchester, um, and it sounded great. And we took it to Bristol, and it sounded great. We took it to Liverpool, it sounded great. Um. I think we we played a couple of shows uh, in Hayes just as warm-up shows that that sounded great. And when it worked, it worked. I think Colchester, I think we played the... um, the, the, Well, we didn't play the stadium, but we played the big uh, corporate area within the stadium. And that was a four-piece. So we found a way of doing it. And at the end of the year... um, You know, we had a chat with Dave, and Dave said, look, I, I don't necessarily want to come back. So... Uh, in that January of 2018, so I know where I am now, um, I made an album with Matt, Matt Straker, and Matt, Matt came in, um, and I said to him, do you, want to, do you want to join the tribute and learn the parts? So now we're back to being a five-piece again, but it was live, and it was me, and it, and, uh, it was, um, you know, there were no backing tracks. We, we were 100% live, because uh, everything I was doing was was uh, actually there at the moment. So, well, that was a ballet dance for me. Um, I'm very proud of it, and it sounded great, and I was really, really happy with how we ended up. Uh, I'll finish with this one. Colin in Malden says, What does a music producer actually do, and what is the difference between a producer and an engineer? Um, hello, Colin. Uh, in Malden, I like Malden. Used to go to Promenade Park when I was a kid. Love it there. Um, what a producer does is a producer oversees everything. An engineer is the button pusher, and that's not disrespectful to engineers because they're far more than that. But uh, you know, compared to the two, so an engineer will be the one who actually mics the guitars up, who actually sort of mics, mics the drums up, who manages to get everybody what they what they want, and a producer will oversee that. Um, what the producer does, apart from anything else, he, he deals with like the financial side of it. He'll deal with the promotional side of it and, and things like that. But that's all boring. What he does is he makes sure that the artist gets the sound that they that they want. 
most producers are engineers anyway and have if they're not if they're not necessarily um engineers at that particular time they would have been engineers and pretty good ones in order to get the knowledge of how things sound an engineer tends to make sure the levels are right but a producer tends to talk to the artist and say you know i think maybe uh you know another you might need another guitar on that or you might need to just uh just do that one again just get maybe a little bit a little bit less um overdrive on it so it's the producer's job to produce the album and to make sure that the end result is exactly what the artist wants and to make sure that it's exactly um, the best that it can be. The engineer's job is to be the dog's body that mics everything up and clicks everything and probably gets it in the ear hole from the singer because the levels aren't right. But the producer is able to uh, liaise between the engineer and the artist, if you like, and to advise the artist on what they think. And a producer, if I had to, if I had to do one or the other, I'd rather be a producer because you, you're able to talk to the artist, chat to them about what they want to do, but also, you can share your, the engineer's side of it. So okay, let's you know, most producers sit in with the engineer at the mixing and mastering stage anyway with the artist, um, but a producer is just the the one who makes sure that the end result is exactly what the artist wants make sure that the engineer has got everything that they want and also probably does most of the advising when it comes to the finished product. I, I doubt very much the producer will be sitting in on the early days. Um, although they'll be there, they won't necessarily be sitting in when, the, when everything's being recorded as much as certainly once, once the drums are down and once things start coming together then the producer comes into his own. His own. But... You know, the engineer's job is to be the one who actually it does it. I suppose it's similar to, you know, the people who are going on the building sites and you've got a site foreman and he, he keeps coming up and making sure everything's ship-shaped, but he talks to the client and then talks to you and makes sure that everything's right. But you're the one on your hands and knees doing the job, you know. Um, but that's what a producer does. And uh, if I had to choose, I'd be a... I like being a producer and an engineer because I think you're hands-on. But if I had to choose one over the other, I'd like to be a producer. Let somebody else press the buttons and sit back and be able to to talk about how to... Maybe that needs that. Let's try something else. You know, and um, I think the best producers, and the, certainly the ones that I've worked with at this level, tend to be the ones who are great engineers anyway and just moved up to production because there's they oversee other things as well. They oversee the, the, the mixing, the mastering... They oversee the artwork. They oversee the duplication of the of the album, the promotion of the album. You know, before the PR people get involved with the record labels, if if a record label is involved, but if you've got somebody who's producing, usually there is a, a label of some description involved. Um, but that's what they do. Um, I hope you've enjoyed. That's it from me. I hope you've enjoyed um, this grassroots this week. I have a few things in the pipeline which uh, I'm not going to not going to talk about this week, but uh, they're in the very very early stages. I've got, as I've said before, I've got plenty of interviews that I'm lining up and I'm hoping to get uh, started on, even if I've got to do them via Zoom and then uh, you know mix them down from there. But um, it's all good, it's all great, and um, hopefully we'll be back out there soon performing again. But I'll be back here next week. But until I do, you take very good care of yourselves. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your time. www.innovationstudios.com. Hold up. 
Bye-bye for now.